Amen. I know you've already done it, but I got to do it. He is risen. Yeah. Try one more time. He is risen. Amen. Because he's risen, right? Because he's risen, all things are possible. The greatest day in history, the greatest moment of all time was Jesus coming from death to life. And that's what we celebrate today. It's so good to see you this morning. Good morning. It's already a beautiful day, isn't it? Absolutely gorgeous day. We, uh, you don't probably know this, but uh, when you were all in Citigroup Sunday, last Sunday, and you're worshiping, we, Citigroup Sunday for us is when we worship in homes all around the city, and we did that last weekend. Uh, there was one of our ladies from our Hispanic family, she said, Pastor, I'm going to be moving to Houston, but I want you to baptize me. So I was here with our Hispanic family, and we baptized Jessica last Sunday. So that makes 10 people in two weeks. Praise God, right? I just tell you, I believe that God is working in South City, not in a staff and not in a building and not in some program, in the church, which is what? It's the people. It's not a building, it's a people. That's you. God is moving in our hearts to take this beautiful message of life from death to the world, right? That's what he's doing in us. What we've seen this morning, what we saw last Sunday is a product of you being missional. You, you going to the world and saying, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I'm just so grateful. And I'm so full of joy. I hope I can get to my message. I'm so excited today. And, I, and you look beautiful this morning. I'm so glad to be with you. One of the things we like to do at South City Church is we like to teach through the Bible. We like to go verse by verse and just kind of break down and and dig out all that God has for us in his word, verse by verse, right? We love that. We have been in a series in the book of Mark, uh, and it's been wonderful for several, several months. And I, let me just let you in on a little preacher secret about Easter, okay? So one of the preacher secrets about Easter is often you pause your series so that you can do an Easter message, right? Well, I'm looking through our text, and I'm looking through what would fall on today, and I, I, the Lord already had planned for us an Easter text, and I'm so excited just to continue in our series in the book of Mark and talk about the gospel and a resurrection life. That's what we have in Jesus. For those of you who have not been part of our series and you've not heard kind of some of what's been happening throughout the book of Mark, I want to bring you up to speed, okay? Uh, Just very quickly, in the last couple of weeks, we talked about Jesus on this mountain where he was transfigured. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. That just means Jesus he, he shines so brightly they could hardly look at him. Jesus had taken his three uh, pupils, his three disciples that he was investing most in, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up to the mountain to experience this moment of transfiguration. And they can hardly look at Jesus. And while they're looking at him and they can see him, they also see Moses and Elijah with Jesus speaking. It's an amazing moment. Peter gets so excited, he says, Lord, can I just build some houses? We'll just stay. Jesus is like, no, Peter, right? And before you know it, the moment is done, and Jesus says, let's go down the mountain. And so they leave this beautiful mountaintop experience. Anybody know what a mountaintop experience is? Right? You you have those, right? I hope. (laughs) In fact, I hope today is one. I hope that you leave here today feeling like we've been on the mountain, but let me tell you something about the mountain. We have to leave it. 
And that's what the three disciples had to do with Jesus. They come down off this mountain into the valley below. The valley of reality. The valley of brokenness. The valley of arguments. The valley of demons. And what's crazy is in the valley, the rest of the disciples were down there. And they were just a part of all that. And for some reason, they had forgotten who they were. We do the same thing sometimes in the valley, don't we? And there's this really poignant moment where the father of a little boy who's been demon-possessed comes to Jesus and tells Jesus about his son. And and he says this phrase that really kind of gives a theme to the whole section of Scripture, which is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And what's so cool about that phrase is it wasn't only just for him. See, the disciples, three of them, had all kinds of belief. They had just come down from seeing Jesus and Elijah and Moses, and they were full of faith. But the other disciples down in the valley, they were saying, Lord, help our unbelief. Isn't that just like us? Isn't it just like life? Where you have moments on the mountain and you believe and you're, you're full of faith and, and energy and assurance and confidence, and yet we have, to, we have to as well come down to this valley area where life gets real, real fast. But the Lord helps us in our unbelief, right? So that's the context of what we're coming out of today from the mountain to the valley, and now we see Jesus and his disciples moving on. Turn in your Bibles with, you, with me to Mark 9, if you would. We're gonna go to verse 30. We're gonna look at three short verses. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, it's gonna be on the screen, okay? This is what it says. They went on from there, this valley area, and they passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Amen? But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Pray with me this morning. Father God, thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, this is going to be a day in my heart that I remember for a long time. This is going to be a day, Lord, where your word tells us where one sinner comes to repentance, that all of heaven rejoices. God, this is a day where we get to celebrate new life in you. Not just for these brothers and sisters in this baptistry, but for us, God. You brought all of us who know you as our Savior from death to life. And it's because of this resurrection life that you've given us, that we can have joy in the middle of the valley. We can have purpose in the middle of confusion, and you can give us, Lord, all that we need for life and godliness in Jesus. Lord, it's my prayer that today you would help us to to learn all that you want us to learn from this text and the others that we'll look at. Lord, I pray with all my heart that your spirit would lead us to all truth, that I would stay out of your way, that I would decrease, oh God, that you would increase in our hearts, in our church, in our city, that we would know you more as a result of being in your word and together as the body of Christ. We love you in Jesus' precious and perfect name. Amen. All right, I want to look at this text just for a moment. Now, the text says they went on from there and passed through Galilee. Now, Galilee is an important place. Jesus has been teaching in Galilee. He's been doing miracles in Galilee. All People all over Galilee know Jesus, right? They're following him by the thousands And thousands, he's feeding thousands. So they know him. They're familiar with him. They've seen amazing things. And yet, for some reason, the text tells us Jesus didn't want them to know. 
See, the thing that Jesus is doing here is his public teaching ministry is over. His public teaching ministry where he really goes into depth and he shares like he did on the Sermon on the Mount, that season is over. His focus now is on his disciples. He wants his disciples to understand. He wants his disciples to go deeper. And so he says, even in our text, look what it says. He did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. What does he want the disciples to know that's so important? It's the same thing he wants you to know this morning and me to know this morning that's so important. In fact, it's the most important thing you can know in all of your life, the gospel. That's it. It's the most important thing you will know in all of your life is the gospel. The question is, do you know what that is? I was counseling a couple to be married not long ago, and, and when I do premarital counseling, we talk about marriage through the lens of the gospel. And so I asked the question, do we know what the gospel is? And I asked them each to give me examples or, or to give me a definition. And the young man said, yeah, it's some books in the New Testament. I was like, you slide by with that one, just barely, right? And then she says, yes, it's, it has to do with Jesus. And I'm like, okay, yeah. So their homework from that session was go back and really get a good, good definition of the gospel. Come back and tell me what it means. Today I want us to talk about the gospel. And Jesus wanted these disciples to know truly what it is to have the gospel, to know the gospel, to understand the gospel. What's, what's awesome about these stories is, and we've talked about this before, but Mark is one of four gospels, and he's one of three what we call synoptic gospels. In other words, they sort of tell the same stories in the same way, but they have a little different perspective. And so we can go to one of the other gospels. We're going to go to Luke, same chapter, chapter 9 in Luke, see the same story, but with a little different perspective. Luke chapter 9, verse 43 says, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, now watch this, let these words sink into your ears. He's also used another phrase in his teaching, right? Whoever has ears, let him hear, right? This is go deeper than just letting something pass over your head or go in one ear and out the other. Let it sink into your ears. Let it sink into your heart. Truly understand what I'm saying, Jesus says. He says, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand this saying, watch this, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So this is the same parallel text with a little information. I'll be honest with you, it's a little confusing. Jesus says, let this sink into your ears. And then the writer tells us, but they, they, it was concealed from them and they couldn't perceive it. I think we can make sense of this in just a little while. See, Luke here is, is basically saying Jesus wants them to get it. Same thing Mark is saying. He wants them to understand the gospel. Look at the last in our text in Mark. Uh, this is the second time Jesus has sort of foretold his death and resurrection. He does it in Mark 8. Now we're in Mark 9. He does it a second time. And in Mark 10, he's going to do it a third time. Do you think the gospel is important for these disciples to understand? Yeah. Jesus is saying over and over again what the gospel is, that they get it. Let this sink into your ears, into your heart. Understand this. This is so important. So Jesus, let's just break down what he says. Jesus says in the text, the son of man is going to be delivered 
into the hands of men and they will kill him. Now, Jesus often used this title, Son of Man. It was his, actually his favorite title. He said it the most of speaking of himself. But what's interesting about this is Jesus connects the fact that he is the Son of Man to Daniel 7, which is a messianic text or prophecy from the book of Daniel, right, from a thousand years before. So Daniel says the Son of Man is going to come, and Jesus is saying, hey, the Son of Man, me, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. So he's making this connection that he is the Son of Man, right? And then he says he's going to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, the Greek word for delivered literally just means handed over to. And there's two pieces of this that I want you to see this morning. Jesus is going to be handed over, number one, by people. Maybe you're thinking of some people, right? There's one guy with 30 pieces of silver. What's his name? Judas. That's somebody that handed Jesus over to men. I think who's somebody who washed his hands. What was his name? Pilate. Or think about the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders, right? Think about all, all, what about the people who said, we want Barabbas instead of Jesus. So Jesus was handed over or delivered to the hands of men by other men. But here's a deeper understanding of Jesus being handed over. He was handed over long before he was handed over by men. He was handed over by God. This is the plan of God for salvation. The Bible tells us in Revelation 13 that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. I say this every time because it's true. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around that. That God had a salvation plan for humanity before he created it. And we know the verse in John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his son. His only son. This is God's plan for salvation. Long before a man could take some money or wash his hands or push him with a crown of thorns and put nails in his hands and his feet, God the Father delivered his only son to be murdered. Take that in. Feel the gravity of that truth. God loves you. And God loves the world. And it was his plan, this salvation plan, that he would do this. In fact, this is what Peter even preached in Acts 2. 50 days from Easter, the early church, right, they had this moment called Pentecost where the Spirit comes in power and empowers Peter with this amazing preaching gift. And, and Peter preaches this message. We, get, we have just an excerpt of what he said here. Verse 22 of Acts 2 says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, same word, delivered. Same word, delivered, handed over. Delivered up according to the definite plan. You see that? And foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Oh, but that's not the end of the story, friends. Look at verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Why? Because it is not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus is the author of life. And you can't put life in the ground. It just comes up. And that's exactly what we see in the resurrection of Jesus. So our Lord was delivered, yes, to men, but at the plan 
of God for our salvation. I want us to understand that. I think it's interesting here, and I love the, the candidness of Scripture when it shows here the disciples, it, you know, the, the Gospels don't make the disciples look that smart sometimes. You know what I mean? And it reminds me of me. Can I just be honest? There's a lot of times I just don't get it. And if you feel that way, this is one of those moments. Look what it says. Jesus is saying, and when, he, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Verse 32, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Has that ever been you? I couldn't help but think about me in algebra class. I understood some math, simple math. I'm not horrible at math, but I do not like algebra. How, how many of you people like algebra? Just a bunch of weirdos is what you are. Sick people. Sick, sick people. I did not like algebra. And so there were many moments where the teacher would talk about algebra and different formulas, and I would just go, uh-huh, right? And just, shoo. It, it was hard for me to finally understand algebra. And I was afraid to ask. I didn't want to seem stupid. But what's interesting is Luke's gospel gives us a different perspective on the fact that they didn't ask. Let's look at that. Luke 9.45 says, but they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So it's a, it's a parallel passage, and yet it gives us a deeper understanding. See, somehow in God's economy, in God's plan, Jesus wanted this to sink deep into their hearts and understand it, and yet he was also protecting them and helping them to understand what they needed to understand at the time they needed to understand it. Kind of confusing, huh? What's interesting is, and, and what's kind of ironic about the Gospel of Mark is, we're seeing all these works of Mark of Jesus throughout Mark in the Gospel of Mark. We're seeing all these amazing things Jesus is doing, and the disciples don't get it. They get pieces of it, but they don't fully get it. Look what John says in John 20, verse 9. We, we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. But I think it's important to see this. John, 9, uh, John 20, I'm sorry, verses 8 says, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, this is John, he's speaking of himself, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Isn't that telling? I mean, it's very honest. Here's a confessional moment of John saying, we didn't get it. We didn't get the scripture. We didn't get all those moments that Jesus told us over and over and over again. We didn't get it until we saw an empty tomb. And when we saw an empty tomb, we went, oh. See, somehow the Lord said, let this sink deep into your hearts but he concealed it for the right moment, the right time, so that they understood it. And what's amazing about what the Holy Spirit does for us is Jesus said this a little, a little earlier in John. John 14, verse 25, says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. This is Jesus, right? I'm still with you, and I've spoken these things to you. Watch this. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, this, this balances out. Let it sink deep into your heart, the gospel, because one day you're going to understand it. But right now, it might blow your mind. I don't know if you can handle it. But one day you'll remember this moment. And somehow in God's economy, you can have both of these aspects, sinking into our hearts and then also 
the Lord by the Holy Spirit giving remembrance of all that Jesus said to the disciples so he could write the Gospels that we see today and we learn from. See, the thing about Jesus as Messiah is there's a lot of misunderstanding. A few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, we studied the text where Jesus, again, was talking about his death. Remember what Peter did? Peter jumps up and says, no, 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 Lord. Not on my watch, right? What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan, right? Peter didn't understand that Jesus didn't come as a warrior to overthrow Rome or Roman oppression. He didn't understand that, and that's what most of the disciples thought. That's what most of Israel thought. Even those that followed Jesus, they didn't completely understand that he came to overthrow sin and death and hell and the grave. But when he was resurrected, they began to understand, and then the Holy Spirit throughout their lives begins to remind them of all the things that Jesus taught them. I love, the last, I, love the, it's, I think it's the last verse in the book of John where John says, we've told you a lot of things that Jesus did, but he says, if I were to tell you everything, if I were to tell you everything that we saw Jesus do, there are not enough books in the world to write down all that we saw Jesus do. I love that. I love that. Friends, why are we here today? We're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And what we need to understand that, uh, about the resurrection is that it is the exclamation point for the passion of the Christ. It is the exclamation point for the gospel. So if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? Some of you might say, well, that's Jesus dying on a cross. And I'd say, that's part of it, right? Some of you might say, well, that's Jesus rising from the grave. And I'd say, that's part of it. The gospel of Jesus is actually God's plan and foreknowledge. His, his giving the truth of what's going to happen in the prophecies of Scripture. And then God coming in the form of a human being and taking on our flesh. Living a sinless life and dying a sinless death on a sinner's cross for me and you. And then rising from that grave. That's what we celebrate today, that portion of the gospel. But that's not even all of it. Because the Lord is coming again. Right? And so that is also part of the gospel. All of that aspect, all of that meta-narrative is the gospel of Jesus. And it is our hope that we have. Can I just tell you this morning, friends, that anybody can die on a cross. In fact, in Jesus' lifetime, I mentioned this recently, uh, scholars think there were about 30,000 people that were crucified on crosses within Jesus' lifetime. A lot of people died on a cross. But it's when you get out of that grave that makes you Messiah. When you can come back from that death, that makes you Messiah. And it, it, that is the proof of Jesus, Messiah. And if that is true, if Jesus, and it's a historical fact that Jesus was resurrected by hundreds of eyewitnesses. And if that is true, then Jesus takes on our sin on that cross and we can know that he gives us this resurrection life that I'm talking about. I like the way Paul puts this uh, as a resurrection life when he begins to talk to the, the uh, community in Corinth. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if you, if you know much about Corinthians, some of you go, oh, yeah, I remember the, the marriage scripture, which is not really a marriage scripture, but 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about love 
And there's uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about gifts. And 1 Corinthians 14 that talks about worship. Paul's been going through all these aspects of the church. And guess what, church? It's good for us to know all those things. To love one another, to care for one another, to understand our giftings, to understand what worship should look like. But then Paul comes to chapter 15, and he goes, hold up. (laughs) You need to know the most important thing, right? This is the most important thing you need to know. Look what he says. Verse 1, chapter 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What Paul is saying here about the gospel is that there is a past representation of it, a present, and a future, right? Look what he says, which you received. That's what you, when you came to Christ, you received grace for all of your life up to that point. But what's so beautiful about salvation, it doesn't just take care of the past. It sustains us in the present. Thank God, right? So he says, in which you stand. But What's so awesome about the gospel is it doesn't just take care of the past and sustain us in the present, but it covers the future in which you are being saved, right? That is the gospel. And he has this interesting phrase, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believe this in vain. What's Paul saying there? Is, it, is salvation based on us something? If we do something? No. What Paul is saying is, if you truly believed in Jesus, then you've been walking with him. You've been holding on, holding fast to this gospel truth. You've been living this life in Christ. If you haven't, maybe you sort of believed a little something in vain. Jesus sort of told this story when he was talking about uh, the parable of the sowers. And he mentions the first seed that goes into the, to the rocky ground and the sun comes out and when the little sprout comes up, the sun comes down and kills the seed, kills the plant. Because there was no root there, there was not a true faith there. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you can't look back over the years of your life and go, yes, I've walked with Jesus. Yes, I've held on. I've held fast to the gospel in my life. Friends, the good news is Jesus saves today. Doesn't matter about yesterday. Doesn't matter about a year ago. Jesus saves and redeems and changes. Here's a witness to that, right? Today. So that even today you can say, Lord, I want to trust you to be my savior. I want to lay over my life down before you. Paul here is giving us a good understanding of the gospel. He goes and he kind of clarifies this in in chapter 15. Let's look a little further. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. That's kind of an important thing to understand there. What Paul is saying is the most important thing I delivered to you when I got here in Corinth, the gospel. The most important thing for South City to understand this morning, the gospel. If you're not a part of our church, the most important thing for you to understand today, the gospel. That's it. And then he clarifies what the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. And then to the 12, those are the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. I love that. You you doubt me? They're still alive. Go talk to them. Most of them are still alive. 
Though some have fallen asleep, verse 7, then he appeared to James, which is his brother, and then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. Paul clarifies what the gospel is, but I want you to notice something. So after he gives the gospel and gives a clear understanding of Christ crucified, buried, and, and risen, he spends the rest of chapter 15 on his being risen. It's important. Why, why do we celebrate today? Because of the gospel. But the resurrection is the exclamation point of the gospel. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus that gives proof to Christ, Messiah. That's the reason. It's the living proof of Jesus, Son of the living God, who has power over death and the grave and the enemy. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that without the resurrection, we have nothing. Look what he says, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Now I want to give you just another point of, of context here. Paul is not just teaching us about the gospel and the resurrection. He's also refuting heresy. Because in Corinth, there was a rumor going around that Jesus didn't really, die from, from, uh, didn't really rise from the grave. You're believing a lie. There's a heresy Paul's trying to deal with. People are saying, that man didn't get out of the grave, and you're not going to get out of the grave. So Paul is writing to deal with that heresy right here. And he sort of uses this, this device here, almost a sarcasm. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. Friends, if Jesus didn't get out of the grave, we have no hope. If there's no resurrection, there's no salvation. But we know there was a resurrection, right? Hundreds of people saw it. Atheists spoke about it. Jewish historians wrote about it. It's a proven fact. Now, I just want to give you one example. I thought, you know, I could lay out a whole list of apologetics for you, and you've heard them, and you can, you can find them online. I just want to bring one to you. There's a guy by the name of Saul. You know him by Paul. He's the guy that wrote the first Corinthians here. Paul was probably the um, most staunch critic and enemy of Christ. He was a staunch critic of the church. He killed people who worshiped Jesus. In fact, when Stephen was being stoned and preaching the gospel of Jesus to the, to the council, they got so mad in the middle of the council meeting, they didn't wait. They went and found rocks and they began to stone Stephen. And the text tells us in Acts that they began, the people who were stoning Stephen, they got hot and they took off their coats and went and laid them down at Saul's feet. So Saul's standing there watching Stephen, giving his approval. Kill him. Let him die. And then later we see in, in Acts 8 and 9 that Paul begins to go outside of Jerusalem. For all these Jews who are leaving Jewish faith to follow Christ, Messiah, he doesn't like it. And so what does he do? He kills people. What does he do? He takes men and women and children and drags them out of their homes and throws them in prison. Until one day he's on his way to Damascus, which, by the way, is a long way to go to do that. He's a pretty angry fellow. 
And on the road to Damascus, most of you know the story, Jesus shows up to this murderer named Saul. He just appears out of nowhere, and Saul falls on the ground, and he can't see, and he's blinded. All he can do is hear this voice. And Jesus says, why do you persecute me? He's talking about the church. Because we are his hands and feet. We are the body of Christ. And he says, why do you persecute me? And Paul says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. In that moment, everything Paul had learned as a young Jewish boy, all of a sudden it began to make sense. Jesus really is Messiah. Jesus really was Messiah. Oh my Lord, we killed the Messiah. And yet he rose again. And yet he's here in front of me. And in one moment, Paul goes from the worst critic and murderer to the greatest preacher of the gospel of Jesus. If that's not an apologetic for our risen Savior, I don't know what is. Why would you do that? Why would Paul, with some clout and understanding, and and he speaks about his pedigree in Philippians 3, he talks about all the things that he's done. Why would he give it all up to follow a little band of believers called the way? Why? Ask yourself, why, why would he do that? Why would he put up with such devastation in his life? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. Watch this. It says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. They, they, they called it that because they believed if they gave 40 lashes, it would kill a man. So they would give him 39. And Paul said it happened to him five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, There's a daily pressure on me of the anxiety from all the churches. Can I ask you a question? Why would Paul put up with that? Why would he put himself through such torment and torture and devastation in his life? And ultimately, from that moment that Jesus appeared to him, for the next 30 years until the day he walked down this road in Rome. And with joy in his heart, he leaned over and he let an executioner, cut off his head. Why? Except for the fact that he knew Jesus was alive. He knew it. There was no question of if. Some of you today may say, I'm not sure. Paul had no question. Because you don't die for a lie. Twelve disciples. Here's a bigger number. Let's see how the ratio works. Maybe four or five just didn't, they, 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 they couldn't keep the lie up, right? No. All 12 willing to die for their faith in what they knew of Jesus to be true. John dies as an old man on the Isle of Patmos, but he was boiled at one time. He was persecuted. I mean, all of these men willing to give their lives for what they knew to be true of Christ Jesus. Friends, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand the gospel, and he wants you to understand the gospel. But he also wants you to understand how important the resurrection is. It's so important. Jesus said this to Martha. 
John eleven twenty five. he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me. Can I just stop for a second and say, that might be you this morning. Maybe you've come in here and you don't go to church and church is not your thing. And I understand the church has messed up a lot of things. We've done some bad stuff. We don't have a great record at times because they're led by human beings, broken, sinful human beings. I myself have been greatly wounded by the church. But I've never been wounded by Jesus. I've never been wounded by the Father. And if you're in here today, I want you to know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And whoever comes to him, and that might be you this morning. If you come to Jesus with a heart to know him, a heart of humility to repent of your sins, say, Lord, I've lived my way. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to know you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me. Change my heart and my life. The Bible says, though he die, yet shall he live. The resurrection is our life in Christ. Because he got out of that grave, we have eternal life. First Peter, Peter says this, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. How can we have hope today? How can you leave here today and go, yeah, I can have hope. I can have joy. I can have peace in the middle of whatever broken thing you're walking through. Why? Because Jesus is alive. That's why. I like the way the message puts this text in Romans 5, 9. It says, now that we are set right with God, this is because of Jesus, by the means of his sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If we were uh, at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son. Now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose. We sing and we shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. Can I ask you this this morning, friends? Do you have a resurrection life? Do you walk out your life day in, day out with a view of who God is, with a view of what the gospel is and how it changes everything? It doesn't just change a little bit of time on your Sunday. It's not a religious program to go to. It's a life to live. It's the laying down of all that you are and all that you have to surrender to the Lord who loves you and wants to give you a life better than you can imagine in Christ. Do you have a resurrection life? I gotta tell you, friends, before I close, the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, it is the hope of the world. Say, why is this guy so excited? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not actually that excitable of a person. If you know me very well, I'm kind of just plain and introverted and boring. It's because I've been brought from death to life. It's because I have lived sinfully, horribly, dishonoring God. And by his grace and mercy and his death on the cross, he has changed me. 
and he can change you. Two years ago, my mom passed away. I've been thinking about her so much the last few days. <clears throat> I'm working on a couple of recipes for lunch today that are hers. And last night I was working on one, putting it together, and I had a, sometimes I have conversations with mom. <laughs> and I just said, I hope I get this right, mom. <laughs> I wish you were here to make sure it was perfect. But can I just tell you something? My family, we miss her. But we have hope. I wish she was here. But I know with every fiber of my being, I'll be with her again in heaven. I don't grieve like I have no hope. I grieve with hope because of Jesus' resurrection. Maybe you've lost somebody and it's hard. I know it is. Maybe you're walking through some sort of devastation this morning, some kind of difficulty. Maybe you're living this moment in an active rebellion sin against God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And whatever it is that you're giving your life into is not worth hell. Come before him. Humble yourself and say, God, forgive me and change me. And he will change your life as he's changed mine. And he will give you this resurrection life. I think about our city. That it's not the same for the last 10 days, right? This is the first time we've gathered as a whole family since the tornado. And many of you may have been disrupted by that. Maybe your home's uh, messed up. Maybe you've lost a friend. Can I just tell you, we can go through just about anything. Death, tornadoes, brokenness, because of the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection speaks of his love, his great love for you. I want to close with this text. Romans 8, 28 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation, including tornadoes, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't know what has separated you from your faith, but nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not one thing. Not one thing. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us the power and the proof of the gospel. Do you have a resurrected life? Do you understand that God has planned from before the beginning of time that you could know him, that I could know him, and yet in his mercy and his grace, right now he's given us another moment to trust him and to surrender to him. Would you do it? I want to just pray for you. We're just going to take a moment. Daryl's going to play and I just want to pray for you. And if you're in sort of a moment where your heart may be beating fast and you feel, feel like the Spirit of God is kind of drawing and tugging at your heart, we're not trying, to, I'm not trying to manipulate something here. We just want to say, honestly, if God is calling your heart, if he's, he's speaking to your life through his word, obey him. Surrender to him now. If I can help you, I'm going to be down front here. We have other elders that would love to help pray with you. My wife is here. Ladies, if you want to come pray with her, we would love to pray for you and encourage you if you're struggling with something. 
you need to be saved or you need to just have prayer. Let's pray this morning. Father God, Lord, as believers in this place, we are just lifting up this moment to you. God, we're saying with all of our hearts, Spirit of the living God, would you move in the hearts and lives of those that are with us today? That if they are far from you, if they have felt separated from you, help them not to leave here and not know you as their Savior. God, help them to see the truth of your word that nothing can separate them from your love, not even their brokenness, not even their sin, not even their unbelief, Lord. You love them even in the middle of their sin. Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, would you draw them to yourself? Would you move in their hearts that they spend this time seeking you? And Lord, if we can guide them, if we can help them, show them the way of salvation, please give us that honor to speak with them now. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would help us, those of us who have trusted you, those of us who know you. Maybe we're hurting. Maybe we're weary. Maybe we're exhausted. Maybe we're mourning. Maybe we're lonely or afraid. There is nothing that separates us from your love. And God, as we sing, would you reach down and hold your children and help us to be reminded of what matters most, the gospel of Jesus. Yes, you died on a cross, but you didn't stay there in that grave. You got out. And it's because of that resurrection that we have hope for everlasting life in you. God, we give you this time. Please move in our midst and change us as a result of being with you. In Jesus' precious name.